Welcome to the media ministry of Crossroads Church Aspen. To learn more about Crossroads, visit our website at ccaspen.com. We hope you enjoyed this message by Pastor Steve Woodrow. We are going to be in Luke chapter 9 this morning, starting in verse 51. Uh, We'll probably just stop about verse 62 this morning. We're in this series on discipleship. If you're just joining us, um, welcome to those of you online as well. We'll probably be in this series up through Easter, at least, on discipleship. This is just part of our people building project this year of kind of reestablishing, right, the importance of discipleship, of what discipleship really is, and uh, really journeying with each other on that. And again, if you have any questions at all about any of this, we'd love to connect with you, get you connected in community and in groups um, here, so please let us know about that. And so we're going to look this morning at Luke chapter 9, verse 51, We're going to look at this issue of Jesus first in my private life and in my public life and look at this struggle that we have, that we all exist in, that's happening actually big time in our culture in America today of this separation of what we believe internally versus what we actually operate and how we actually live right on the uh, outside. So um, before we dive in, let me just pray for our time this morning together. Father, thank you, Lord, for this beautiful day. Um, Wow. Lord, thank you for um, just the blessing of gathering together, Lord, to worship together, Lord, to uh, hear your word together, to serve each other, to encourage each other, Lord, to be the body, to be your people. Um, Lord, I just just pray, Lord, for our city, and um, Lord, may you just pour out, Lord, your spirit. Let us be obedient to your word, to be lights and salt in this place that we live, Father, and all those visiting, that they may take that back, Lord, with them. Lord, you're the, you're the God, Lord, that desires to revive and to bring and to birth revival. And Lord, could that happen? We know it can happen in this little mountain town. And we ask that, Lord, pray that you just build an expectation in our hearts, Lord, uh, for that, Lord, that any day, even this morning, Lord, you, you can just unleash something, Lord, an awakening, uh, Lord, a hunger, Lord, among people for you, a new sense of vibrant affection for you, God. Lord, I pray that you do that in our hearts. Lord, I pray you give us a hunger for your word, Lord. Give us ears to hear what your spirit has to say this morning, Lord. Let it go deep, Lord. Let it not just kind of bounce off. But Lord, let us be people who are hearers and doers, Lord. Holy Spirit, pray that you'd move. Move in our time here, Lord, as you have been. And um, Lord, I expect to hear some great words, testimonies like we did the first service. Um, let's learn to encourage each other, Lord, that, uh, Lord, church is not just about entertainment. It's not one-way communication, Lord. It's, it's really vibrantly, too, between you, Lord, and us, and us and each other. And, uh, Lord, I pray that you would bring that about this morning, Lord. Lord, we love you. Lead my words. Holy Spirit, um, I'm willing to go. I think we're all willing to go where you lead this this morning. We ask you to come and, uh, and lead this time, Lord. Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Um, all right, as we get into this, let me just uh, throw this, this out here and just kind of break down this concept before we dive into uh, to Luke 9. Um, but folks, I, I think we're in a unique time right now, especially with some pressure, confusion, and, and uh, I think more than we ever realized, some cultural turning going on in our, in our land. 
in our country. And that's happening, obviously, in the church around America as well. And uh, what happens is, and, and this is something we all struggle with in the Christian life, is that uh, what is happening on the inside? In other words, how in tune are we with our conviction? How in tune are we with what we really believe on the inside? In other words, what am I really convicted about? Because oftentimes we can just say, I believe that, I believe that, or I believe the Bible, I'm a Christian, and, and I believe it, but boy, have we really wrestled, in other words, because if it hasn't been tested to, to really see how it impacts my living and how I respond on the outside, there's this chasm. And folks, let me just say, there's only one person, right, in all the universe that can bring wholeness to our being, and that's Jesus, and it's only by the power of the Holy Spirit. You know, the, the work of the Holy Spirit is to integrate, make us whole. The song we sung was, he makes all things new. The abundant life Jesus calls us into, it begins with integrating our entire body. You know, salvation, healing process, sozo is that word in the Greek. It's a holistic healing of the Holy Spirit, integrating our mind, our emotions, our will, our body, everything into this unity of wholeness. Unhealth is when we get fragmented. And in our Western culture, everything we learn about, we learn to live fragmented, compartmentalized lives. This area of my life, this area of my life. And in the midst of that, unfortunately, it means and it, it brings us into the Christian life that we can believe certain things but act differently or act upon things that we don't really have a conviction for. And uh, sooner or later, that, that if there's this chasm between these two, it's going to bring a fracturing. It is going to be a watering down of God's authority in our life. And so what, what's happening right now is that when, um, that, that I think what we need is a restoration of, of discipleship because I think without that, without understanding the context of how Jesus did this, a group of men, a group of women, right, who journeyed together. One primary thing is we're going to push each other on how to follow Jesus, right, and how to um, uh, take his word and, and to experience that abundant life, that integration, right, of the, of the Holy Spirit. But what happens in, in our, and it's happening right now in our culture, and we could give many examples this morning, um, but is over time is if I don't have a, a, an opportunity to really wrestle with my conviction. And let me just say, going to church, going to Bible study, going to all these things, ah, some of those things are going to affect it. But outside of the discipleship context where somebody is really challenging me, really pressing in personally into my life, questioning me on my belief, and pushing me on to take hold of these things in my life, is that, uh, man, you know, I, I, we can go years, right, of just kind of being Christians as such and never really have our convictions and our belief firmed up. And when that happens, it means that my outward life of how I'm going to flesh that out is, is very conditioned by the culture I live in, by what's happening out here. And so what's happening today is because of that pressure, the heavy pressure, growing pressure of our culture against biblical values is that what's happening is, is that for many people who are Christians, right, is that it's this inner conviction that we would say, yeah, we believe the Bible. But the reality is the Bible is very clear on a heck of a lot of stuff that a lot of believers hold very loosely. There hasn't been a formation process of that being the authority of their life. That's where strength and power comes from. To be able to stand in the midst of, of a culture or situations that absolutely are against that. And so what's happening because of, of this lack of, of, of believers being able to fortify their inner conviction is the pressure of the culture is, is causing those things to fall. 
And what happens is, rather than being a bold statement, right, and a, a bold love, and uh, speaking the truth in love out there, is that we just kind of set back, and, and we don't engage, and we just kind of slowly let the world take its place, and, 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 and we get watered down. And so here's what happens, is once that starts to happen, which it has now, because this is what's happening in America, and I just term it as we're in a battle right now, folks, especially through COVID, it's really... Uh, blossomed a lot of this is we have a movement many people are either flowing quickly towards progressive Christianity um, or um, holding firm to authentic Christianity and that line is a, is, a, is a very important line to understand. This is the flow that's happening. And so what happens is once the convictions are not, not firmly rooted and grounded and connected to my outward action is uh, what happens is those people still are Christians and they still come to church. And they're sitting in church, but year after year after year, but, but haven't made that step into discipleship to really wrestle with their conviction, to really wrestle with the tough stuff in the scripture, what Jesus calls us to, is what happens is they're sitting in church, but really their worldview, really their, how they act and what they believe out there is more formed by the culture. And so this causes this schism in the church. And what's happening today, either that church is going to restore discipleship and the ability to really walk alongside each other, right? Our internal conviction. And that church is going to revive and be strong or quickly what's happening, which again, even this week, we've had some incredible uh, falling away, right? To, to let the culture pressure certain decisions with large organizations and even churches and, and to just fall into the progressive a line of things. And again, historically, folks, this is nothing new under the sun, but it's, it's dangerous um, what's happening. Has anybody read um, Eric Metastas' book on Bonhoeffer? Anybody in here? Yeah, awesome. Big old thick thing. So not too many people are going to get through it. But let me just say this. It's, it's a New York Times bestseller, um, and it's the history of Bonhoeffer, obviously, who's a pastor through the whole, um, through Nazi Germany and leading into it. And, I, I, and I'm going to do a blog and just um, kind of lay out some, some, some nuggets from it and just bring in the quotes from, from that year. But let me just say this. Nothing's new under the sun, but if you realize, if you read the story and you understand history and culturally what was going on, how the church in Germany got overwhelmed by the state and it cowered to the state. And hence, the rest is history. And, uh, and so there was this division. And it was a division between the confessing church that was going to stand firm on what God's word says, and then there was the state church, right, that, that held its history with Luther and everything, but it just totally became one with, with the government. And there was this battle within the church. And... Um, and folks, this is, again, nothing to understand, but what I am trying to say to us is we're in a time right now where this is serious, right? Where there is a full-on press on this issue, and, and, and it's a good thing, though, because God wants a purified church. He wants a strengthened church. And the only way to do that, right, is to put the pressure on so that there is this discussion of which, where am I going? Is, is biblical conviction where I'm going to land, or am I going to be, right, conform more to um, culture, right, as such? And... Um, I would just lay it out like this. It's, I think a lot of us folks have grown up, and I'm going to generalize here. A lot of us have grown up in church, and, and the idea of Christianity is we talk about and we focus so much on the, on the, on the grace and the glory and the forgiveness of the gospel, and, and which is awesome. That's the starting place. There's nothing like it in all the world. Jesus who's come, he offers salvation free, this glorious gospel. 
forgiveness of all of our sins, the grace of God, the love of God, who, as we sang about, comes running after us, right? The prodigal son story or the leaving the 99 to go after the one is Jesus, God is after you. He created you in his image. He wants fellowship with you. He wants to be in fellowship with you. He's not gonna leave you, right? He's going to keep coming. Even if we've run, and I think we all could give testimonies of running in our lives from God, and God is there in little touches to love us and woo us back. But, but here's, here's the important thing as we're gonna see this morning, is that, is that we have not, though, focused enough on this aspect of a crisis of faith, is yes, that is salvation. Yes, that is God's love. And yes, we have to receive that by faith. But that's just the beginning. From there, Jesus, the crisis of faith, is Jesus' very personal call to each of us. Now, will you follow me? Will you follow me? Will you follow me? And, and Dallas Willard said it the best. He said that in America, we've created a climate where we have communicated that you can be a Christian and not be a disciple. And all statistics, whether it be Barna or whatever, right, show that basically, right, 70, almost 70% of America still says, I think it's down to 60-something, that they're Christian. But when you press further, is very, very small percentage of those people are actually holding to biblical authority. And so what we've done is we've just created this idea, here's, you can be a Christian, you show up to church, do Bob's or anything, but you don't have to be a disciple. You don't have to necessarily really answer that call to come follow Jesus. And folks, I, my premise this morning is without discipleship, without a restoration of what Jesus did with the 12, right, is that many of us will never progress back past that aspect of being a Christian, standing in the, the love and grace of God and proclaiming that, which is awesome, which is amazing, but we'll never move to become a disciple. We'll never have to really wrestle with what does Jesus say to me personally, about following him, right? What does it mean to actually follow him in this life? And that's why, folks, we have so much kind of angst in the church of, of, of not seeing the power of God really transform us, why we're not really seeing and experiencing what we see in the Bible is because we haven't made that, we haven't got through that, that really crisis of faith. Am I willing to follow? Oh, I want the grace. I want the love of God. I want salvation. I want the forgiveness of sins. But am I willing to follow him? Now, we won't get into, is that even a possibility? Um, but that's where we're at. And that's the importance of discipleship. Right? Jesus didn't come with a message to save us and forgive us of our sins and leave us there. He, he wants us intimately walking with him daily, as we saw a couple weeks ago, right? That's where the abundant life is. That's where we partner with him. That's where our life, his life becomes our life, right? And that cannot happen outside the context that we see here in Scripture. Again, a group of men, a group of women, right? Challenging each other, right? The sole basis of coming together is to bring my inner life and our outer life in unity, submitted to the Word of God, and see us become followers of Jesus, right? Followers of Him. And, and that means I have to be open to the tough questions in life, right? To, to get there. Does that make sense, gang? This inner and outer life, and the difference between being a Christian, salvation, receiving the gospel of forgiveness versus being a disciple, genuinely being willing to listen to God's call in my life, am I willing to follow and to live under that question daily? Lord, I'm ready to go with you. I'm ready to follow you. And so that brings us to the text. And we've been just journeying through the gospel of Luke in this 
in this uh, series and just kind of picking, jumping to some of the key discipleship passages as we move through Luke. And uh, we're coming to some pretty tough stuff here. And so where we've been is, <clears throat> is Jesus is now turned towards Jerusalem. He's moving towards the last part of his, his ministry, headed to the cross. And, uh, he, and so the guys are kind of all, in the larger group of men and women disciples, are all kind of like, what, you're going to die? And you know, just still confused about his, his main mission here. And just to, to picture this, we see he's going to journey through um, Samaria, Remember, a lot of Orthodox Jews would not even go through it because they would feel like they were undef- it would be uh, um, unclean, right? And so there's this huge rivalry between, or I should say just a, a breach between the Samaritans and the Jews. But Jesus, as he always does, he doesn't let culture stop him. He blazes right through, right? And he's on his way to Jerusalem. But during this time, you had a large group. You had the 12, and you had the larger group of disciples, and then you always had a larger crowd just following, seeing what was going on. I just, let's see what Jesus, let's see him do some tricks. Let's see what he can do. Let's see what he can, he can pull off, right? And, uh, and there was always this dialogue going on. And so as we're going to read, as he's going along the way, there's always this discussion with Jesus, like with um, what's happening. And, and he would sometimes look at people, follow me now, right? And others would say, as we're going to see, if I, I'm, I will follow you. And so some were leaving and some were being added along this journey. Um, and that's where we step into the story in Luke chapter 9. Verse 51, and when the days drew near for him, Jesus, to be taken up, he set his face to go to Jerusalem. And he sent messengers ahead of him who went and entered the village of the Samaritans to make preparation for him. But the people did not receive him because his face was set towards Jerusalem. And when his disciples, James and John, the sons of thunder, saw it, they said, Lord, Do you want us to tell fire to come down from heaven and consume them? But he turned to them and he rebuked them. And they went to another village. And as they were going along the road, someone said to him, to Jesus, I'll follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, foxes have holes, birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. To another, Jesus said, follow me. But he said, Lord, Let me first go bury my father. And Jesus said to him, leave the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Yet another said, I'll follow you, Lord, but let me first say farewell, farewell to those at home. And Jesus said to him, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. Man, that's just not real touchy feet that's, that's tough stuff isn't it tough stuff so we have to wrestle with what well, what does <laughs> what what does this mean to follow christ what is jesus getting at here right and, and again i'm going to just throw some things out this is a lifetime folks let me just this is the encouragement for all of us um some of these concepts of what it means to follow jesus daily it does not this is why it's called discipleship it's a long journey it's a long journey and it doesn't happen overnight, and the reality is all of us, we bounce out of this journey, right, for whatever it is, and again, here's the glory of the grace of God. It's never too late to bring us back, right, to have us fall back into walking with him and be received back in, and I believe that's what God's doing now in America, is he's calling many of his wayward sheep back to the fold. Come back, 
My grace is here. My patience is always here. My mercy is always here. I'm calling you back, right, to become disciples, to again enter into this following intimate relationship. I'm not done with you. And I'm going to keep running after you. Come back, right? And dive into the essence of what it is to follow Jesus. Not just be a Christian, not just be saved, not just have a testimony, but to genuinely follow him intimately, right, in discipleship. And so just four things here um, this morning. I just want to throw these out. I hope you'll take them and wrestle with them and really go before the Lord. What is Jesus telling you? Um, and this one of these we're going to get to has just been kind of beating me up in a good way all, all week long. Just, I'm just like, Lord, forgive me and give me ears to hear and to restore some of this. Um, those of you, anybody in psychology, um, I'll just throw this out. I don't have time to break it down, but it's very interesting. The four counts we have right here basically track perfectly the four main personalities we have. The choleric, I think a sanguine, <clears throat> um, melancholy, and uh, I think phlegmatic. I don't know, you can correct me if I got all those right. But basically, Jesus deals with discipleship in, in intimately. It's a whole other layer we could look at here of how we're uniquely built and how we approach the call of Jesus to, when Jesus says, follow me, how we respond to that. And to understand again, to follow Jesus, right, is to, is to come and, and to have my whole inner life and my outer life brought together, right, to have him make me whole and make me new, right, and uniquely as God has, right, uniquely created me. So the first one is just this idea of, being, of Jesus being first in our response to rejection. <clears throat> so as we'll see here, but as we can see in any discipleship context of when Jesus asks us to follow him, he's asking us to make him first, to make him first. And folks, let's just be honest, it's hard. Because what? I, I've got a self. I've got my own agenda. I have my, my, my flesh that's always butting up against the call to follow Jesus or the call to surrender something to him, a decision, whatever it may be. Because I've got the flesh. And, and, um, and so it, it's, it's outside of really being with people, intimately wrestling with this idea of what's going on in my inner being. Man, is the gospel really in there? Is it really in there? Or am I just living this superficial, right, Christian life? And if I stay out here, folks, let me tell you, the culture is going to overrun us. It already is outside of a genuine engagement with the Holy Spirit and the Word of God in a context, right, of discipleship to wrestle this stuff out, right? And so this first, uh, this first encounter is the sons of thunder, and I kind of can relate. My flesh pattern would be pretty much along those lines of, man, let's just call it, you know, you know heck with them, you know, it's kind of fight, not flight. Some are flight, and, and uh, these guys were all fight, right? And, uh, and, and, and folks, in the midst of that, Right? What was going on on the inside of those sons of thunder, James and John? Jesus, you know, it, and there, was, there was this chasm between right, what, what should be inside there. And look how patient Jesus is continually. He continually says to these guys, where is your faith? And he continually is there to love them, be patient with them, right? And to rebuke them. And this is a strong word. And so I, I just, I ask you, women, are you open to a rebuke? I have to ask myself this. When was the last time I got a good rebuke from a brother or sister in the Lord? Do you realize in the context of discipleship, that's where it happens. But think about it. The culture we live in is, oh, I need to step back. I know that there's something going on there in a brother or sister's life, but I, I can't step in there. They might reject me. They might blah, blah, whatever it is, right? The scripture over and over again says the church community is to speak the truth in love, right? 
and the truth and love. And that means it's, sometimes it's a rebuke, right? It, sometimes it, we need, all of us, right, correction, right? And, um, and just to think of, well, when was the last time I got a, a good rebuking from, you know, like, brother, man, that word or that thing you did or this, that was just not right, you know? Um, according, I got to back it up, obviously, with the word of God. And so I think I have to wrestle with, man, think about this in our lives, do you have people that you're journeying with that they have that kind of freedom in your life? If not, guess what? That is not a healthy community. It's not what the Bible tells us, right? Because I have to be able to, the Lord rebukes me primarily through other people, right? Who see me out of line somewhere. And, and there's a difference, folks, between just a sense of, hey, man, let's talk about this. What, what's going on there? Versus something that's absolutely wrong there, according to the Bible, right? The rebuke only comes in when there's a clear, right, misstep, right? And here with the guys, this is a massive misstep, right? Um, and so I, I just throw that out. Um, it's funny, I started thinking about, when was the last time I got a good rebuking? You know, and, and it was pretty funny to hear the, you know, and then I went back, I mean, when, when did I first really get a rebuke from somebody, you know, and uh, it's, well, I'll go there, it was, it's funny how things flash, you know, and in my young life, it was from my young life leader, and we were on a, a trip, and I won't say what we were doing, because it might give some kids a wrong a thing to try, but we were on a road trip, let's just put it this way, and we were not in the car, and um <clears throat> Man, we pulled over, and it was a sit-down, full-on, in-your-finger-in-the-face rebuking as, as leaders in that group. And, uh, and I'll never forget it. And it was a sense of, you're right. We were wrong. Thank you for correcting me. And, uh, and uh, I, again, I could, give, I could give plenty of stories of, of, uh, of rebuke, but can you think of that time in love, in love that someone got in your face, brother or sister, that is wrong. That's gossip. Brother, sister, that's wrong. That's not trusting God. That's making a decision, you know, whatever it is, right? We have to, right, have that context, right, in our discipleship. But Jesus first, and this ties into, obviously, this response, right, to rejection. He promises that if we're going to follow him, we're going to be rejected. He, he promises tribulation, and so here's another element of this discipleship is I have to ask myself, have I been rejected because of Jesus? Have I, have I received any tribulation? Have, have people rejected me or have I lost friends because of, of Jesus or whatever? Because if I am not, then I have to really ask myself, am I following Jesus? Because he promised resistance. He promised rejection for those who would follow him, not those who would just take his salvation and quote, right, be Christians, but he promised rejection, persecution, tribulation. He matter of fact, Sermon Mike says, blessed are you when you receive those things. So if I'm not, then it means that most likely I'm not willing to step into a situation and proclaim the truth in a loving way, of course. Right? So I have to really wrestle right, with that issue. Now the flip side of this is obviously James and John giving us the wrong approach that they needed to rebuke on, right? But um, this idea of making Jesus first in my life, in discipleship, is am I responding appropriately to people, especially people's criticism of me? And folks, that's deep water. That's deep water. And it's not going to happen in church service. It's not going to happen in a, quote, your, your Bible study, for the most part. 
It's going to happen when you gather with a group of people that you are there committed to make this journey together, right? And, and diving deep into applying the word of God to be followers of Jesus, right? And to know that, man, am I responding appropriately in this, in this situation? So that's the first one. Second encounter is this idea of Jesus first and our optimism. So they're walking along. And, um, and again, like I said, there's all this conversation going because the people had the concept of discipleship, Jesus and the 12, the rabbi, and the, and the, and the uh, disciples following the rabbi, the teacher. And, um, and there's always this ongoing discussion back and forth. And um, man, this, this guy just shouts out, I'll follow you wherever you go, just out of the crowd. And look at Jesus' response, boom, right back at him. Hey, and basically Jesus' response is, hey, have you thought about that? Have you thought about that? Are you just over, overly enthusiastic because of the crowd, because of the hype, because of what's going on, because of the pressure of the, of the environment, whatever it may be? Have you thought about that? And he says, hey, listen, son of man, he doesn't have a place to lay his head. So you need to think about what that means. And folks, there's so many layers to this, this thing. First layer, let me just say this, is Jesus, he does not call us to be positive. He does not call us, cause us to be optimistic. He calls his followers to be something much deeper, much more profound. Trusters who, in, in, uh, in God and his plan who have a whole view of the entirety of life, right? And a, a real view that you can't hold on to good news unless you fully understand the bad news. Now, this is really important. Do you understand You can't really be people of good news unless you are brutally honest first with the bad news. The gospel of grace means nothing if first you don't lay the groundwork that we are sinners desperately in need of a God, bound for an existence in eternity away from God, unless, right, unless we do something. We need a savior. The good news is corrupted if the bad news is not clearly communicated, clearly stood for, clearly preached, clearly engaged with others to understand the consequences um, that are going to happen if, if I don't, if I don't choose. Does that make sense, gang? And do you see how foreign that is to us today? Even in a lot of our church environment, I want encouragement. I want, I want this. I want my ears tickled or whatever it is, is that it is not the gospel. It is not good news until I fully am aware of the bad news. The why Jesus had to come. My existence without him, right? And uh, otherwise, guess what? We just sell some positive, optimistic thinking to someone. Oh, Jesus has come to forgive you. He's, his grace is for you and everything. And all along, the person says, ah, who doesn't want that? I'll take that. And this is what's being fleshed out in the church today is we brought people to a place of thanking their Christians by just believing the good news, and they never were told the bad news. They never were told the reality, the large picture of the reality of the human soul, right? And why Jesus came to save us, right? The other layer, you know, I think in this is, for me, gang, this is for me, this is the, the thing that just kept rattling in my brain all week long, you know, was this, I had this question of, and I just kind of pictured Jesus, I'm there on the road and, and I'm observing, what would I do? What would I say? And, and Jesus, and, you know, looking at me and saying, are you willing to follow me no matter what? Are you willing to follow me no matter what? I think honestly that that's the crux, I think that's the most important discipleship question we could ever answer. But my question to you is, do you have a group of people that sink deep into that question. Wow, let's wrestle with this. What does that mean in my life? And am I willing to really jump into the, the, 
the, I don't know, what do we say? Risk, the, the craziness of that? Wow, what will he ask me to do? Am I really willing to go where he leads me? In my work day, am I really willing to in the morning say, Lord, I'm gonna follow you wherever you go. I'm gonna follow your lead. Whoa, are we willing to do that in our churches? Or are we just happy with, a, with here, you know, church as usual. Here's our songs, here's the message, here's this. Are we really willing to come and say, Lord, wherever you lead this morning, whatever you do, Holy Spirit, whatever you move, we're gonna follow you. Are we even in tune with that kind of living? Right? And, um, Man, that one's been really challenging me, right? Because it permeates every aspect of my life, doesn't it? Lord, am I willing to follow you wherever I go? When it comes to my vocation, when it comes to my decision-making, when it comes to my relationships, when it comes to what I do with my time, my hobbies, my, whew, you know. And, he, and, and here's the deal, gang, is that his grace and mercy is there to save us. But unless I make that journey, unless I'm in the process of making that journey, that deep journey of crisis of faith to, to surrender and say, Lord, I'm gonna follow you. I want to be a disciple. I want to follow you. I want to learn how to follow you. That's where the adventure is. That's where the power is. That's where the intimacy is. That's where all the promises of God are found, right? Um, so we'll, we'll come back to that. But I, I hope that makes sense, right? It, it, Jesus first is, in our optimism, is that, man, like this guy, I'll follow you wherever you want to go. Well, he hasn't thought about it. He's, he's just a very positive person with no real deep thought, right, about what he's, he's saying he will do, right? Um, so let's move on. Um, third thing, what about this? Jesus first in our empathy, in our caring, all right? Let's go a little, maybe a little deeper here on this one. And, um, and so here, here's, I try to just put myself in the scene. I don't know if it helps me to just kind of, what would I do, Right? And here Jesus, here's this big crowd moving towards Jerusalem and people are popping off things left, right, and center. People just want to press in the crowd to get a picture of the scene. And, and, uh, and these people are shouting, I'll follow you wherever you go. And, but then in the midst of this, Jesus turns to a guy and I just try to put myself in that position, looks him right in the eye and says, follow me. The son of God on earth looks square in the eyes of someone, follow me. And folks, we all have to, every day we should put ourselves right there. We should have a vision of our Lord, our Savior, who's at the right hand of the Father right now in glorious heaven looking at us. Follow me. Follow me. It's, it's into abundance, into its, its best. And I don't know about you, but as soon as I, I put myself in there, immediately I, I get all like, but what if, what, if the, what if he calls me to do? What if he calls me this? What if, right? I mean, I'm just going through my brain. What if he calls me to Africa? I don't, whatever, right? It's that whole thing. Or what if he, what if he calls me to sell everything? I mean, right, it's amazing, the what ifs, right? If we really get honest, we really press in on that question, right? What if, what if he calls me to lay down my hobbies? I mean, whatever it is, right? I don't know. But, but you know, what does that say about my, my, my soul, our soul? And that is, it's, it's because I have a, a view of God that is what? It's a deficit. I think he wants to take away from me. I think he wants to give me something less. And the scripture says he wants to give me life. He wants to give me abundance, Right? And so it's a trust issue, ultimately, according to his word. And I have to flesh that out with other people. Man, let me tell you how I'm really feeling about this, right? Um, but look at this. Man, what in the guy say, the response, Lord. I mean, the guy, Jesus looked right at him. And the guy said, but Lord, let me first go and bury my father. 
So I just have to believe in this guy's mind. He's thinking kind of what I'm thinking. Oh, oh, he's called me out. The whole crowd's watching and listening. And, oh, I'm, you know, what is he going to call me to do? And, but Lord, you know, the first thing maybe was I have responsibility back home. And folks, just historically, to care for your father's burial and all that goes around that whole thing, the transition of the, of the family and all that, it was of the utmost importance in Jewish community. I mean, this, it, culturally, this hits us hard. This is how hard this verse is. But culturally, it was massive. So how could our Lord, who tells us to love our neighbor, tells us to love our enemies, how, how do we make sense of this? And now he's saying, dude, follow me now. Let the dead bury their dead. Wow. What do you think Jesus is doing here? Again, there's so many layers. We're just scratching the surface. He knew, he, he had a word of knowledge here, obviously. He, he knew what was going on in this guy's life. He knew his security. He knew, right, a lot of things, obviously, to say what he said, right? But ultimately, right, he's saying here, I, I mean, there's so many things we could say, but let's just bump it up a little bit here to this idea of, gang, is Jesus first in our empathy and our caring? And I'm going to be very bold. I'm going to continue to be bold on this issue. I think that our culture, especially the young generation right now, is on the precipice of being sucked into progressive Christianity versus holding firm right to what the Word of God says. And this is the issue. In all the social justice, in all the caring, all the empathy, all the, 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 the activity out there, right? there is a forfeiting of first, Jesus first. And Jesus couldn't be any clearer right here as he is in all the scripture, right? Is yes, we need empathy. Yes, we need to be involved. Yes, we need to be caring. But not above Jesus first. And Jesus first says this. Let the dead bury their own dead. What does he say? This is exhortation to this guy. But you, you go proclaim the kingdom of God. And make sure in all your empathy, in all your caring, in all your social justice, make sure that first and foremost, you're proclaiming his name. And um, I just give this to us, folks. This, we are in big trouble on this issue. Big, big trouble. We're all about causes. We're all, and this is all great. Don't get me wrong. We need to be part of it. But you know what? We have completely lost the priority. First and foremost, we are proclaimers of his name. We are proclaimers of the gospel. We are proclaimers of the kingdom of God, of what God offers in this world, first and foremost. And if ever my cause and my work overshadows that, I am in big trouble. And this is probably the primary, one of the many things, that's sucking people out of the church into a false, out-of-balance gospel sooner or later if I live that way. If my empathy and caring foreshadow my proclamation, guess what happens? I become a very nice person who's involved in a lot of causes and caring with people, but never really able to speak the truth in love. I lose all power and authority in this life. I'm going to say again. I lose all power and authority in life because I forfeit Jesus first and his kingdom first in all that. Does that make sense? Okay. Right? Um, and so just the... Uh, <clears throat> the last one here is Jesus first in our decision making, right? And so he's walking along and right, and another shouts out to him, I'll follow you, Lord. And, and this guy doesn't, maybe he's listening to all that's going on. He doesn't wait for Jesus to reply. He already gives his excuse. I'll follow you, Lord, but, right? And, and folks, let me just say this is um, 
we can't become a Christian if it's Jesus, I receive your forgiveness and I, I receive your grace, but I can't be a disciple if, it's going, if I'm going to live my life like Jesus, I'm going to follow you, but, <laughs> right? But the reality is, guess what? We all do that. We all do it. And, and again, this is the, the process of discipleship. I need someone to call me out on when I say but. I need someone to call me out in deep into my life, say, well, Steve, you got a little condition on that? Are you going to follow God if he does, you know? I, 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 and again, this is a lifetime process because we have the flesh until Jesus comes back and makes us whole, completely whole, right? Is that this is a process I have to really wrestle with. Man, am I walking with God? And, and how about decision-making? And, and Jesus, boy, what a powerful thing. You know, says, you know, God says, I'll follow you, Jesus, but first let me go home and kind of say goodbye, make things right, fix the house, fix everything up. Whoa, what did Jesus say? No one who puts his hand to the plow looks back is fit for the kingdom, is fit for the kingdom of God. And so, again, so many layers, but let me just throw this deal with two of them. One is Jesus first in decision-making. And, um, man, this is where the rubber meets the road, isn't it? Where the importance of discipleship, when you make an important decision, do you have other people praying for you and are you open to their counsel? Where you work, where you move, on and on and on and on. And um, we, 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 if, I, if I have only made decisions in my own, um, most likely those are just full of the flesh. Have I submitted my decisions to the Lord for confirmation? You know? Um, now, here's the other last thing on that one, is this idea of looking back. Now, over and over again, whether Jesus, whether it's Paul or anything, Christianity, folks, is forward-focused. Christianity is forward-focused. It is not. It is this process of being untethered from the back and always more forward, always more forward. Remember, Paul said, I press on forward, forgetting the things that lie behind, right? Now, granted, there's always a time in the Christian life to step back and take, take uh, uh, um, you know, uh, pick up what's happened in the past and put the gospel on it. But let me tell you, that's, that should be minor. And, and you know what? The problem in the church today is we have a lot more time looking backwards and dealing with stuff than we do actually coming together. And that's a void of discipleship. Discipleship is when we get together. It's not thinking about back here. It's always coming together because when he says, you are not fit for the kingdom of God or you could proclaim the kingdom, the kingdom, our perspective needs to always be for Jesus coming, Maranatha, and the kingdom of God is coming back to renew this. That should draw all my attention. I should not be bound back with what's happened in my past, right? And this is where we need to minister to each other. If I am, if I'm always being pulled back, right? To And this is indecisiveness. And this is on and on. There's things we could say here in our culture is uh, this is where we need, right? Discipleship, right? To get forward focused in life, right? Um, I hope that makes sense. Again, I just give you these four things. Dirk, you can come on up. Um, to just wrestle with. Ask the Lord. And, and it, maybe it helps you, but for me, I, I have to put myself into the scene and just kind of visualize Jesus looking at me, his full attention on me, and asking me, are you willing to follow me at all costs? Um, and to rest in that place, right? Um, and so what, uh, I think what we'll do is just, um, I'm just gonna pray and, and folks, uh, we had some great testimony at first service, and um, I just, 
throw out to you, if you have a word this morning of just great encouragement to bolster us, please bring it to encourage us. And, um, and if you have a testimony along any of these lines of just God moving in your life, right? Uh, please come. Again, this is a body, right, encouraging each other. So Father, thank you, Lord, for this morning. And Lord, man, that's some challenging stuff, Jesus. Lord, I pray that your spirit would move now. And Lord, that you would um, shake us, Lord. Father, we're moving into a time where more and more, Lord, there's pressure on the outside. And sadly, folks, it seems like every week um, somebody, a church or organization is, is uh, losing that battle, Lord. Losing their authority before you, God. But Father, you are, you're sifting your people, you're sifting your church. But Lord, that's to make it stronger. You've done that throughout the entire history of the world. Father, we ask that you would just strengthen us. Reveal to us your goodness, your call to come and follow. To make you first, Jesus, in our inner life, in our outer life. To be disciples. To really wrestle with, are we following you? So come, Holy Spirit, now and let us respond, Lord, to your word, Lord, as a We've had some teaching, we've had some worship, but now, Lord, let us, let's respond as your spirit leads. Thank you for listening to this message. To hear other messages or learn more about Crossroads Church, visit our website at ccaspen.com.